Welcome to the Nehemiah Collective Podcast, where we tell the stories of men and women embodying the beautiful future God has for the church and giving us back a holy imagination for all that's possible. In this episode, my conversation is with my friend Sarah Southern. Sarah is a writer and social commentator on the state of evangelical Christianity. And her writing offers us an imaginative way forward and an honest look at what it is that we need to let go of in order to embrace what it is we need to reimagine. So let's jump in. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing and how it all happened. Yeah, honestly, my what led me to this point in my life, my self-clarification work or deconstruction has been like a slow process. There's a lot of questions that I couldn't ignore started to build up and build up until they just came to this boiling point. And um, and I, I think for some people, it's like this identifiable moment where they knew I can't go back to the way that I used to be, the beliefs I used to have. But for me, it was very slow. And I think a lot of it was because I never really asked questions out loud Mm -hmm. growing up or in the church that I was in, but they were always there. And I can remember moments in my life where those questions were there, but I just pushed them down for a very long time. And it really was the insurrection a year ago that made me start writing in a way that I knew I couldn't go back. I was like, this is the moment. And I had been building up to that point throughout COVID, George Floyd, so many of the things that were being discussed on social media. I was writing more in my stories and that kind of thing. But it came to a head on January 6th last year. Mm. I, I noticed for the first time how widespread things were that I know were a lot more people were aware of. But up until that point, I hadn't realized how deeply toxic white nationalism could be like what it yeah. could, how, how what what could happen when people's politics and religion are so muddied mm. and we saw that a year ago a lot of things have been going on in my own heart and my own beliefs for years but that was the first time I really started writing about it in a way that I never had before and it took me a long time to use certain buzzwords like deconstruction but to be honest that's what it is yeah. And what myself and what so many other people are experiencing is just a total reevaluation of beliefs and a lot of things having to be torn down before they can find the truth buried in in the wreckage. And so I don't know, the more that I wrote, the more I realized there were things that needed to be said, the more it started spilling out. And for me, writing was very much the medium for me to seek, to ask questions not just internally anymore, but to put it out there publicly and and discover other people are asking similar questions. That's good. Now, what I find interesting is so the insurrection, it almost burst all those questions you're saying were deep down in there, wide open. What is it, this is how I describe your writing to anybody listening, is it's like very honest, soulish humanity and sacred imagination. So how did those things come about in the eruption of all these questions for you? Yeah, I mean, it was like a lot of things all 
coming together at once. Uh, I was an art major in college, a double major art and journalism. And art has always been a big part of my life. And I've always found a lot of beauty in good books, in poetry, in art. And when I grew up in it, in evangelical settings where art was very literal, everything was fell into the category of Christian themed. And it doesn't mean that we didn't watch good movies or occasionally listen to good music, but there was a culture um, there of so many things falling underneath this category. And it stunted a lot of imagination because mm-hmm. I realized um, through the years that it, it was about having a literal message that could not be mistaken. Yeah. We need to make sure that if you watch this movie, you read this book, you listen to this song, that you come away all with the exact same meaning. Mm-hmm. And so it loses the nuance and subtlety of what good art is supposed to be, which is supposed to pro- provide opportunity for conversation and for different interpretations and different imaginative thinking. Mm. And good art does that. Good art points to sacred topics, regardless of the intention of the artist, whether they're yeah. Christian or not. And I can't, for myself, when I talk about things like deconstruction and faith questions, I can't divorce imagination and art from those conversations. It's through creativity that I actually find a lot more hope and healing mm. when it comes to my faith and and I think that's why a lot of that kind of spills forward. It's an entire life of considering these things and being involved in different creative projects and just being a deeply creative person. Mm-hmm. And also just seeing how so many Christians are so stunted. And it's some, a lot of times it's well-intentioned. What comes out of that is, is just anemic faith, I think, yeah. because we didn't learn how to exercise those muscles. Yeah, that's really good. and. The thing that I immediately think of is like all those cheesy Christian t-shirts where we just ripped off like the Gatorade logo or the Nike logo. There's no originality, right? There's no, like you said, there's no nuance or creativity brought into our own interpretation of the message. It's let's just take something popular and staple Jesus to it. And that doesn't feel like it's very honoring to him. Yeah. And I think it was Karen Solo Pryor and her one of her books, her first book on literature, she talks about reading widely and truth will rise to the surface. And mm. and I feel with all art, it's the same idea, taking in different writing, different um, creative expressions allows truth to rise. Mm. And actually there's so much more truth you can discern when it's not obvious. You have to hunt for it. That's really good. Gosh. Okay. I love that idea of like great art sets you on a hunt for its meaning. Mm -hmm. But then it feels like it invites you then to walk with Jesus or your own self to discover it. It leaves room for you as a person to experience it without someone telling you how to do it. Absolutely. That's really cool. Why is is writing your favorite medium or do you have a secret painting talent no one knows about yet? (laughs) Now, yeah, writing is my medium of choice. It's medium I neglected for a really long time because I didn't know how to write anymore. But I've found a lot of healing in it, especially the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, it's my main yeah. uh, creative outlet. I love pottery, and but I haven't done that since college. Okay. Okay. So there's not like some secret closet talent you're not telling us about right now. 
No, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> That's okay. I just wanted to make sure. The question I guess I've been have and have felt myself is, did you have, like in deciding, okay, I'm going to start posting this. I'm going to invite people to follow along to what I'm writing. Did you have to overcome any imposter syndrome or like, how did you decide I need to start letting other people in on what I'm doing? Every single day. Imposter syndrome might as well be my middle name. Because I I constantly think, who am I? I didn't go to seminary. I never worked on staff at a ministry. So much of my theological growth or understanding is from what I've absorbed from reading and conversations and a lot of thinking all the time. But I'm not an expert in any way. And I think as writers, we exist to tell stories, but sometimes we get in our heads because we wonder if telling a story is enough. Is it enough that I haven't studied theology for four years in an academic setting? Is it enough that I've never served on staff at the church? Is it enough that um, I'm only just now starting to scratch the surface of things that I didn't even know existed? So many just different theological trains of thought, et cetera. And then I just think, what do I have to say that hasn't already been? And, and I think that is those two things of have, not having enough experience, but then also thinking, am I a unique enough voice? That's what gets in my way a lot. Like every yeah. single day I question it and I wonder, what's the point? There are millions of, not millions, uh, there are probably hundreds of us talking about these themes and these topics on social media. Am I just clinging gong? Am I adding to just noise and confusion am I the reason that um so many leaders are like hey guys like this is becoming a movement that isn't helpful yeah it is a lot it's a lot to consider and think about when you are putting words out there for public consumption I do think it's an important question imposter syndrome can be crippling but at the same time we do need to ask ourselves is this worth writing about yeah is it stirring the pot in a good way yeah yeah, not just throwing stones without being willing to right. build what's broken. Yeah, yep. that's really good. So how do you overcome that and keep posting? Because I'm glad you keep posting and I'm sure lots of other people are. But I want to know personally what keeps you putting us in this position to keep reading what you're saying. Do as I say, not as I do. Are we that generation? Or are we doing and working on? ourselves just as much as we work on the technology that we crave artificial intelligence and the concerns I would say were pretty valid but the interesting thing about that is is it valid because that's how we see ourselves are we are we looking at them but then really seeing us. Uh, you have to cut that out, said um again. Um, I think it's the words of other people who speak good in, into you, who they see the remnants of skill and, and the words that need to be spoken. My husband is my biggest advocate and champion and, He's the one who told me to start writing again when I thought that ship had sailed. Yeah. Um, and, and I've 
connected with a lot of other writers and thinkers and it's this, this community that we've formed and a like-minded but not completely like-minded because we're all different and we all come with different experiences and perspectives it's thin enough to see there is room so I'm not putting things on the one hand uh, should I be writing but then on the other hand remembering there is room for all of our voices there's nothing new under the sun and yet there's there are things to be said that haven't been yeah. said in quite the same way so yeah. I do think it really it does come down to the encouragement of other people that I admire and respect that has kept me going yeah I think what I take from what you just said too is like every one of us has a place that we've uniquely been asked to show up and it's almost like the light won't shine through the stained glass if we don't stand in its way to reflect it and so Mm -hmm. each of us has a place to stand so it reflects and so being mindful of saying no thank you to the parts of us that doubt ourselves and saying yes to the people who continue to tell us this is where you're supposed to be and your words are important i think that's beautiful yeah. For you then, in this kind of season of deconstruction, renovation, discovery, what does it look like for you and Jesus to connect maybe daily or relationally? Yeah, that's really good. For me personally, it looks like being intentionally in, in different books. I have huge stacks of books like right next to me right now. And I think reading is a huge part of my own uh, spiritual journey and in the writing process too. I think the the Bible verse of seeking you shall find, I find myself seeking through just writing things down all the time now. I Mm. didn't always do that. I really didn't. I did not even like in a a private journal or anything like that. And I I was the worst at it, but I think it can be a very spiritual practice and Mm just an opportunity to go deeper and, and to let those questions sit maybe you're not quite ready to voice and yet they can sit in that journal and you can bring them to Jesus. And honestly, my, my head is always spinning and I can, mm-hmm. lately I've been thinking that is a form of prayer, whether I realize it or not, yeah. I am thinking and I am connecting with the spirit. And a lot of times it's not even necessarily intentional. It's just, a, mm-hmm. you know, aspect of being human, I think. Yeah. That's really good. So then switching gears a little bit, when you look out at the landscape of our Western American Christian faith, what's something that if you could add your voice to, you'd want us all to reimagine when it comes to this whole following Jesus thing? I was um, reminded of Sister Joan Chittister in her book, The Rule of Benedict. She said, imagine a world that is run by holy listeners. I read that a couple of months ago, and it's just sat with me since then. This idea of learning how to better listen. Mm. And this whole idea of deconstruction, and on the one hand, you have so many people who are deconstructing because something has to change. What they believed before isn't tenable anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet you have, on the other hand, you have people who see this word deconstruction or this process of questioning as a threat. Mm. And yet I wonder how much healing would come from just listening to those of us asking questions and poking the bear, upsetting the status quo with the disruption of certainty 
holy listening is, is such a beautiful thing. And then it's an opportunity to really come together with the things that maybe aren't initially understood. Yeah. And if there was room in the church, more room in churches for that. I just, I think that could be such a healing and, and necessary thing. I, a lot of issues I see are just a lack of listening of, we have to take a stand. We have to have a defense. We have to know absolutely certainty with certainty what we believe and why we believe it. We don't give space for the figuring out that we need to do. And a big part of that is learning when to be quiet and when to listen. That's really good. Where would you want someone to start in becoming a holy listener? And I just like in our individual relationships, even family dynamics and in small group settings and in places where it's really easy to tell someone, oh, wait a second, what you're saying is you're encroaching dangerous territory. Why are we so quick to shut people down for just exploring things with their words? We're human. That's what we do. Yeah. But sometimes that means we have to ask uncomfortable questions before we start figuring out our grounding. Mm-hmm. What I think it's sometimes an obsession or that's maybe too harsh, but like a need for certainty and yep. this like fear. And I feel like certainty and fear are two things that I don't find God promising or telling us to operate in very often in scripture outside of the certainty that he's with us. There doesn't right. seem to be this idea of you have to fully believe everything and feel like it's sound. Do you find that to be true as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm going to botch this quote, but Abraham Heschel talks about this endless search of the heart, mm. which is really not certainty at all. It's just constant searching for glimmers of truth, but also knowing that absolute answers. There's not a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable because if we say that there's a lot more nuance and a lot less certainty, if that neck just can be incredibly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I need to become a holy listener. So I'm thinking of all the ways. Oh, me too. Would do better. <laughs> I think that was a lifelong process. Yeah. Yeah. But it's an invitation to humility and yes. I wonder how often people would encounter Jesus and find that he had less to say and more listening to do as they told their story. I think that's yeah. compelling to me. So maybe I think it's on. not really in our nature either. No way, not at all. To, to sit in silence or to sit with uncomfortable questions. Uh-huh. I think it's a spiritual practice. You know, we get better at it the more we do it. Yeah, no, I agree. It's good to feel uncomfortable in that way. It, it allows a lot of things to settle that normally I just run past by. So yeah, I resonate with that. So now shifting gears again, another question I want to ask is, as you look then at, again, the same landscape, what do you feel like is a misconception that's gone astray or like a thorn in the side of how kind of us Western Christians follow Jesus that you'd want to talk about? Oh, I think that's such a good question too. And I really, I think it just ties back into some of the things I have talked about with the wandering and the questioning and the deconstructing as, as churches or leaders see that as the threat that it is not. 
I think the church should be shepherding people towards more debt, towards seeking, towards wholeness, towards the flourishing of one another and our neighbors and our communities. So rather than feeling this need to take absolute stands or even avoiding hard conversations because they could potentially be divisive, we should be willing to go into those places and hearing people out and doing the work of being the holy listeners that we really should be. And I think that's important in the church, but also individually as well. It's just something that I've seen lacking in, in a lot of ways because a lot of times we use the this idea we all have personal convictions when it comes to politics or wearing masks mm-hmm. or just different things that have been controversial in the past and still are. But I think this idea of shepherding people has to mean that we're shepherding one another towards deeper things that mean having those harder conversations and being willing to say, this is wrong. And this is a deceptive way of viewing these particular things that we are avoiding. It's not neighbor love. It's not, it's not just, and it's not, it's just like taking the easy way out. And yeah, that's just something that has been on my mind for a while. Just whether it's Christian nationalism or just so many other things that we're continuing to see take over and take a hold, moving towards that, just the deeper end of things and having those richer conversations. Because what we should care about the most is the well-being and the flourishing and the wholeness of the people around us. Yeah. And that's not going to happen by avoiding the tougher conversations. No. How do you let your guard down enough to step into that conversation? Practice. (laughs) That's a great answer. Yeah, that's just how we get better at listening and um, learning to let our, our insecurities go. Mm. just comes through practice. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a willingness to let the other person bear the image of God and honor that without yeah. reducing them to their opinions or beliefs, despite what we think about them. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What's your more of a fun topic? What's your favorite thing to write about? Like, where do you just find like, maybe the ideas are endless and you wish you could just constantly write about it? Oh, man. I don't know that I've found like one main thing that I could just write okay. forever and ever about, but yeah, I definitely write about, uh, if I find a book that I just love, I usually write about it too much and quote from it too much. <laughs> like I, I think I've quoted Dallas Willard this past year in almost every single post, Yeah, <laughs> which is great, but also probably annoying to some of my readers. I don't know. <laughs> that is definitely because so much of my own spiritual formation comes from the reading of other people. And so I can't help but constantly refer back to brilliant quotes I've read or words that just really sit with me and authors that I love to be compared to. I can't help sometimes, but revisit them and share them probably too much and talk about books for the rest of my life. That's great. You and my wife would get along. She reads like seven books a year minimum. Oh, that's great. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. What is what is this is the question I want to ask too? Is what is most beautiful about Jesus to you? What just what stops you in your tracks when it comes to who He is? On this theme, my holy listeners, that's what Jesus was, and honestly, like the times where I have really just struggled in faith 
when has kept bringing me back was Jesus. This picture of an embodied God who wept with people, though he knew exactly what heaven looked like and he knew exactly what he was going to do with Lazarus and still entered into this just grief Hmm. without having a timeline of when they should be done crying and screaming at him. And, And then the flip side of that, of just an eating with people and having like the human desire for connection and community and asking questions that he would have known the answers to. There's just so much empathy in this, in this Christ. And I love that. It's enough of a reason to keep digging in and to hold on, even when everything else seems to come undone. Um, at least that's how it's been for me. And I think it's something that I can study for the rest of my life. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Nehemiah Collective podcast. We are so much more than a podcast. We help people go on curated journeys to find beauty and value in their faith. We love help people find healing, wholeness, and community in every area of what they do. If you're interested in learning more, you can go to the NehemiahCollective.com. And we'd love if you'd leave us a rating on iTunes or Spotify. It helps other people find us. And we'll see you next week.